I heard that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So this text is actually giving us some nautical terms. Uh, we have anybody out here who's boat people, like fisher guys, fisher ladies? Anybody fish? Anybody spend any time in a boat? A couple hands. Okay, we're getting more hands now. You're coming out of the closet. So, you know, this idea of paying more careful attention, if you look into the, into the original language of it, it's, it's sort of like a person on a boat sitting at the bow of the boat looking out for rocks and making sure that the craft doesn't smash into anything. It's a really intense moment. So this idea of paying careful attention, you know, we, we use the word, you know, careful a lot, you know. And thank you for all those who... Uh, you know, shared with me that you were, you know, thinking of us, thinking of me during the car accident thing. I've had more people the last uh, week or so tell me, hey, be careful out there. I'm like, it wasn't my fault. I mean, it's like the, it's like our third total loss in Omaha in the seven years that we've lived there. And every time we're just stopped. But we throw that phrase out, be careful, uh, a little bit haphazardly. You know, I, I don't know if haphazard is, a, is the right, but, it, it, you know, it can lose its meaning. It can lose its effect. So when we read across the text that says, pay careful attention, most careful attention, you know, we really got to put our mind in this idea that, man, we are looking for danger that's lurking out there in the water. And we don't want the, the boat to crash into these rocks. And then there's this tag on that says, you know, pay careful attention to what we have heard. You know, pay careful attention to what you've been hearing as disciples of Jesus so that you don't drift away. Again, another nautical term, you know, boats that don't get anchored, they can drift out to sea or be carried by the current. It's not a fast thing. It's a slow thing. I think there was a, there's a Christian group out there. I can't remember. I think it might be a Casting Crown song at a wall called Slow Fade. You know, uh, anybody hear that song, Slow Fade? It's a slow fade. Yep. Dan's heard that song. Sing it? No, you don't want me to do that because uh, we don't want you to drift away. <laughs> but this idea is that drifting away, you know, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, pay careful attention. This is, this is, these are really perilous times. And we don't want to find ourselves in this process. The thing I love about that, song is the message is like, you know, we don't just wake up one day and boom, we've left God. It's a slow fade. You know, it's a retraction here. It's a withdrawal there. It's, you know, not listening to the spirit, not being in God's word, you know, disengaging. Uh, you know, I really love what Matt had to share about the importance of relationships um, within our family, within the church family as well. All of those things can, 
you know, bring us in closer together or uh, withdrawal from them can lead to this idea of a slow fade. So we're going to dissect a little bit from the book of Hebrews uh, today. And I'm going to give you a little background that I think is helpful uh, for the book. But, you know, the basic theme of Hebrews is this, and that is, uh, I know you can't read that probably super well, but Jesus uh, is the source of all greatness. And we are in God's greater covenant. If you had to put one thought uh, behind the book of Hebrews, it would be the greatness of this new covenant relationship that we have with God today. It is a superior covenant. It is a great covenant. And all of the greatness, the source of all that greatness is Jesus. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we have this idea that Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Abraham. Uh, he's, greater, uh, he's the greater sacrifice. I got a green light. Houston, we don't have a problem. You know, the amazing thing about Hebrews is, too, that uh, you can get through the book of Hebrews in 45 minutes. And you don't have to raise your hand, but just when was the last time you read Hebrews through in a full setting, you know? I really want to encourage you to do that sometime very soon. Read through the book. It's the first quarter of a Chiefs game. You know, you can do this. You can actually sit, you know, and read through the scripture, read through the entire book. But to really grasp 
and absorb some of the great things that the Hebrew author tells us, it's important to sort of look at the whole picture of the book of Hebrews. And you can get through it in 45 minutes. Plug in your, 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 your ear things. You know, listen to Max McLean's voice. Do it on your Bible application or whatever the case may be. Read along, you know. Do something to, you know, vitalize it for you. But it's just a great read from start to finish. And, you know, talk about this greatness of Jesus. You know, Jesus, you know, really as we enter into the Christmas season, just really think about how astounding Jesus is. I mean, just absolutely astounding. Jesus is amazing. He is fabulous. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is mighty. He is savior. And that all too often overused word, awesome. Jesus really is awesome in the purest sense of the word. You know, we had dinner last night at Tim and, and Minda's place, and we had a, an awesome meal. It was super good. I was blown away. You know? It was, yes, she is great cook. And Tim, man, that's, you know, yeah. But Jesus truly is awesome. And that's the core message that we see in the book of Hebrews. So he's, he's got all this greatness. Uh, and Jesus really is the, the perfecter, the author of our salvation and all the things that Matt covered in our communion time this morning as well. Now, here's a little bit of background details about the book of Hebrews, and I think it's helpful to understand in the greater concept. And while the letter does not give us specifically the timing, and there's not much in the letter that can tell us the timing like some of the other letters that we see in the New Testament, but pretty good chances that this letter although I, I would, you know, I tend to read it nowadays more as a sermon than a letter per se, it was probably written before A.D. 70. A.D. 70 was when Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. The Romans had had enough with these Jews down in, uh, down in that area, and they destroyed the temple, put an end to the ability of the Jews to worship at the temple and meet at the temple. And there's just too many temple references in the letter, of, or the, the, the sermon of Hebrews, if you will, for their for that not to have happened yet. Had that already happened, you'd see a lot of references about the temple being destroyed. And in fact, there's even a reference here in Hebrews 8.13 that says, by calling the covenant new, that is the current covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and outdated will soon uh, be, uh, will soon disappear. So if the temple had already been destroyed, doubtful things like this would be showing up in the letter. Not that it's a huge deal, but it's, it's kind of helpful to understand the setting. It's also that the church could be in its second generation of members. Probably 30 years out now, the church has been in existence. Because near the end of the Hebrew sermon, it says in 13 verse 7, remember your leaders spoke the word of God to you. So we're probably talking sometime in the 60s or the 70s, at the, or you know, no later than AD 70. And then there's a minority perspective out there that maybe Hebrews was written sometime after 75 towards 90 AD. It's not that critical, but we do need to understand that there's some things in here that gives, give us some hints as to possible time frame. And this is kind of important to understand the overall message to the book of Hebrews as well. Now, who's the audience in Hebrews? Uh, the audience here is probably a, a primarily a Jewish audience, hence the term Hebrews. Uh, but it would certainly include Gentiles in concept as well. Gentiles who were converted into Judaism in the first century would have been well-versed eventually in 
the first covenant relationship of God with his people, the Jews. Obviously, one of the big struggles in the early church was what? Going back to Judaism, you know, going back to a lot of the old covenant things. And it was a constant piece of, of, uh, of strife within the church. And they always had to be dealing with this thing, you know, circumcision and obeying various things of the old covenant. So the Jews uh, and the Gentiles, you know, definitely would have been addressed in this first letter, but with a heavy emphasis on the Jewish audience. The Gentile converts uh, would have been, had become familiar with uh, Jewish aspects of the Jewish faith. But at this particular time, and, and why I think, you know, sometime in the 60s is really relevant for when the book or when the letter was written, is the Jews were beginning to experience intense global Roman Empire-wide persecution. Because after about 30 years of, of Christian time and, and the evolution, if you will, of the church, the Romans had started figuring out, wait a second, this is not just a sect of the Jews. This is some different religion altogether. And this Messiah guy that they keep, Jesus guy, that they're referring to as he's, he's Lord, Caesar is Lord, not Jesus. And so there are all kinds of different reasons why, uh, you know, the, the, the Roman Empire was looking at this Christian thing and, and beginning to really persecute it in a great way. These Christian people were doing crazy things like taking care of poor people, taking care of abandoned babies and abandoned children. They were doing things that the Romans themselves were just, you know, totally dismissing themselves and freeing themselves from. And they had allegiance to this Jesus, Lord and Messiah thing going on. And there would have been tremendous pressure on Jewish converts to shrink back. Just go back to your old thing. Because it's, it's a lot more acceptable. You're not going to face as much persecution being a Jew versus being a Christian. And, and then there was the familial side of it as well. You know, not every, not every Jewish convert's family came along for the conversion. So there would have been pressure on them to shrink back from that expectation as well. And that's one of the primary messages in the book of Hebrews is this idea of not shrinking back. It's so easy for us to do some shrinking back sometimes when we're facing difficulties and challenges. But, boy, these guys are in the maximum, maximum situation in which pressure would have been really intense on a pretty regular level across the empire. You know, earliest manuscripts also had the heading of the, of the book of Hebrews. Earliest manuscripts found of this sermon had the heading on it of Hebrews as early as the second or third century, implying a clearly Jewish audience as its focus. This is called Papyrus 46. I know, exciting, right? Wow, we got to see a picture of Papyrus 46 today. But this is dated between 175 and 225 AD. And Papyrus 46 contains about 40 to 50% of all the New Testament letters, including the book of Hebrews, with the title of Hebrews on it. Now, a good chunk of Papyrus for 46, I've seen. It's at the Library of Historical Documents at the University of Michigan, where I'm from. And another chunk of it is in some guy, his, his, his initials are CB. 
It's in Dublin, Ireland. Anybody ever been to CB's library in Dub Dublin, Ireland? Okay, me neither. So a good chunk of them are held there. But you, you can't see this either, but this is just sort of an example of all the different, this thing has a pointer, but these are all the different um, areas of New Testament letters that are contained in Papyrus 46. You can Google this, you can find this out on the internet, but you know, the CB, uh, and then you got Michigan, CB, Michigan, these are the different libraries in which these documents are contained. And again, Papyrus 46 contains a good chunk of the letter Hebrews, and at the top of it is the title Hebrews. Now, you might not think that, uh, to me, I think this is kind of blow-away stuff. You know, this is a chart that tells us, hey, we've heard of people like Aristotle, Julius Caesar, Homer, Plato, Old Testament, New Testament, right? And, you know, most of us, if you've gone to college, you had to do some reading of Homer, you know, Painful as it was, you know, sorry for those of you who really loved it. Uh, if you really loved it, we probably need to talk later on. Uh, I need to find out why. <clears throat> uh, but, you know, so over here, and these are a lot of Greek philosophers. Of course, Julius Caesar was a, 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 one of the early emperors of Rome. But this, like Aristotle, lived around 340 B.C. The oldest copy of anything he ever did, uh, wrote down or had written down is dated 1100 AD. That's a period of 1440 years separating the time of his life and the time of his writings. And there's about five copies. Okay? So, and you got all these other lists and they're anywhere from 900, or 900 years to 1400 years between the time of the person and the time of the writing. The Word of God, on the other hand, we have the Old Testament dated 1500 to 500 B.C., Oldest copies of anything there is dated 200 BC, thanks to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls back in 1940, whatever. And uh, so we have a gap there of about 200 to 400 years. We have over 1,000 copies of Old Testament manuscripts. In the New Testament, that would have been written sometime between 50 and 90 AD. And we have copies of transcripts uh, of things recorded down of the New Testament in 100 to 200 AD, so a gap of less than 100 years. And we have over 5,000 copies of manuscripts, pieces of New Testament recorded that date back to this kind of, I mean, the, 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 the historical proof, the historical date, nobody questioned Homer lived or Julius Caesar or Aristotle. You know, to me, this is like, these are real solid reasons for us to have amazing faith in an amazing Jesus. And it's important we know this, because your faith is attacked on a regular basis. And I'm really fired up when I read things like John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31 today, where it tells us, God tells us that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. These are written that we may believe. These are found and dated that we may believe. We're several centuries removed from the miracles that Jesus was performing, but we still may believe in very external sources in the evidences for God and the inspiration of God's word and the reality of Jesus in our life. Now, one other quick thing about this chart. I know you're just really excited about this chart. Uh, you know, we know the word B.C. generally means before Christ, right? And A.D. 
you know, for those of you who are still thinking this way, you know, for years I thought it meant after death too, but it's actually a, a Latin phrase meaning annos domini, in the year of our Lord, okay? So if you think about it, if it's A.D., after death, then what happened to the 30-some years of Jesus' life? You know, those, but it's before Christ, annos domini, in the year of our Lord, Okay? Today, we don't really see these much. You, younger people that are in school, you may see history books, and if they're dated, they'll say things like uh, BCE for before common era, and AD has been replaced by CE, meaning common era. You know, the effort is to kind of get rid of religious connotations to anything that's timed uh, for a multitude of different reasons. So just so you know that, if you come across that, you know, BC versus BCE, that's kind of what we deal with today. And... Uh, you know, that's the world we're living. The world is migrating further and further away from a belief in God, an absorption and belief in, in the following of Jesus as Lord. All the more reason why we really need to kind of know this stuff to, to convince people through our life and through our faith that Jesus is Lord. Now, who is the author? You know, the bottom line is we don't really know who the author is. Here's some speculations. It could be Paul. Many people think it's Paul. There's a reference to Timothy at the end of uh, Hebrews in chapter 13. It could be Apollos, uh, certainly a, a learned person in Judaism, a very well-educated person. Uh, it could be Barnabas. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. Hebrews itself is filled with lots of encouragement usage, encouragement language. It could be Phoebe, a well-known, traveled, and respected sister in the early church as a servant. Uh, others are possibly speculated in there as well. But we really don't know who wrote Hebrews, but it's really not all that critical either, you know, exactly who wrote it. So there you go, a little bit of background information on the actual book. And here are the key messages that we can take through from the book of Hebrews. All of these add up to the idea of the Hebrew writer wanting to strengthen Christians who are beginning to weaken in their faith because of the pressures that are going on around them culturally, familiarly, maybe even in the church. And major themes throughout, key messages throughout the book of Hebrews is we're in a greater covenant. It's not even close. And scattered throughout this 45-minute sermon, hint, hint, no, I'll be done in, before 45 minutes, uh, <laughs> scattered throughout this is the idea to pay careful attention, make every effort, move on to maturity, Draw near to God. Don't shrink back. Don't fade away. These are both direct encouragements and some direct warnings that the writer of Hebrew gives us. Going on further, we read things like live by faith, persevere, encourage one another, and enter his rest. There's so much depth an amazement that you know we need to gain out of the out of this sermon but it's really important we take the time in our lives too to read it in its entirety hebrews is one of those books it's not as quick as let's say titus or certainly not as quick as jude oh great jude is my quiet time today right it's one chapter hebrews oh that's 13 chapters come on it's the quarter of a football game. It's one quarter. 
What did you say, Betty? Do it at halftime? <laughs> There's so many great things to be taken out of this letter. And I just want to drop with you two this morning. In addition to this idea of being paying most careful attention to the things that you've heard, the things that you've learned, do not drift away. We read in chapter 10, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You know, preceding all of this in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of encouragement there that talks about let us, I call this the salad chapter of the book of Hebrews because there's like seven lettuce references in here. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. My righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You know, the idea here, the context here is that going back into God's first covenant people, when the Israelites shrunk back, they were this close to the promised land, and they stepped back. We're this close to the promised land. Do not step back. Do not shrink back. Do not drift away. Figure out what you need to do in your household, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with your family, in your relationship with your kids, to do everything you can to keep them from drifting away. The world is running nonstop 24-7. The kingdom of the ruler of darkness is coming for you. He's coming for your kids. And we have to take extra careful attention to the things we have learned, to the things that we have heard, so we do not shrink back. When you have those moments, thank you for sharing this as well, Matt, when you have those moments when, man, things aren't going the way you think they should, you know, you're feeling a little dull, you're feeling a little despondent, you're feeling a little disillusioned, Man, that's all the more time when we really need to step into this. Listen to the voice of God. Get into the word of God. Get connected with our brothers and sisters. Share those times of struggles together. And I just wonder for us this morning. I'm going I'm to hold wondering for another verse. We'll get to uh, wondering in a second. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13 through 14, Near the end of the sermon, he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short 
of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Over the last few months, we have absorbed a lot. You have absorbed a lot. Do not shrink back. Do not be comfortable or, or, or do not seek to get comfortable in an old style of religiosity, whatever that looked like in your life, where church was just something you went to. It wasn't who you were. Church was just some place to go, say hi to people, and then move on. Don't shrink back to that. Don't shrink back to that worldly lifestyle of holding on to grudges and holding on to issues, but rather invest in one another. Take the word of God. This is what, you know, paying extra careful attention so we don't drift away is all about. If God teaches me, hey, this is how I want you to deal with this, then amen. Deal with it that way. Do I have to? but it's for our own good. We're all kids at heart still, right? I mean, weren't you like me? I was, everybody, I, I know you were. When you needed five bucks, did you go to mom or dad? Maybe you didn't have one of those other parents, and if that's the case, that's really, you didn't have an option. But I always knew if I needed something, you know, I was going to go to my mom. And if I had to go to my dad because my mom would say, well, go to your dad, you know, like that, I don't want to hear that. The, the, the first, I would coach my dad, all right, before you say no, listen to me, right? We negotiate that way with God all the time, right? Now, before you say something else, God, just listen to me, understand, this is why I'm right about this, right? We're so good at negotiating. We've been through a lot, but I tell you what, we've also accomplished a lot. We're having more one-on-one -on -one conversations together. You should be thankful, proud, and grateful for that. You have an amazing board. The board has worked a lot of effort and they've presented details to you that many of you have not seen before or haven't seen in a while. And it may have been a bit overwhelming, but you see where the church is at. You see the, the, the strength and where the church is at, what the opportunities are for the church going forward, the overall financial health of the church. That's a lot. We've had three I'm sorry, three was not in there. We've had very public confessions of some brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters who had the courage to be very vulnerable, who had the courage to be very humble. Here's where three comes in. Three brothers came together and said, you know what? Let's do a class on having conversations with each other. Let's do a class where we do some teaching and training around having conversations with each other. And that's what you're currently doing. 
You've established a search team. Those are great accomplishments, every single one of them. So my question to us this morning, because there's more challenges ahead, there's always going to be challenges ahead. The way forward in God's kingdom is never a straight line. It's never black and white. How's the ministry of encouragement going for you? About a month ago, I spoke about the ministry of encouragement. And I, I'm very, very grateful for all of you who have reached out and encouraged me and Wendy in so many ways. Thank you for allowing us to come into the building today, even without Buffy. Oh, you didn't know that? Okay. <laughs> But in all seriousness, you guys have been really encouraging for us in so many ways. And the people who reached out and said, hey, man, I heard you had a car accident. And like, yep, sure did. Appreciated those prayers. It's kind of easy to encourage a new head, a new voice, while we take advantage. I shouldn't say take advantage, but while we forget about one another. I'm telling you guys, we really need to be encouraging one another regularly. Every single one of us in here, we think we're fighting these battles alone, but we're not. Every single one of us is fighting these battles on a regular basis. Even if you have to mechanically do this for a little bit, maybe you just put a day, a date on every Tuesday, you're going to call a brother or a sister and encourage them. And if they're not available, you're going to leave them a message or you're going to text them. I'm serious about this ministry of encouragement. It may, encouragement may not be your gift, and if it's not your gift, that's okay. You can grow in that area. But guys, we need to really be encouraging one another. Encouragement is so important. So important. Have we embraced the grace of God? And have we been willing to offer and accept forgiveness from others? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Have you embraced the forgiveness of God, and the grace of God. Because if you're still holding on to things, God has a message for us. He says, go and talk to that sister or brother. Get it resolved. Resolve matters quickly, Jesus said, before you bring your sacrifice to the altar. Don't hold on to these kinds of things because that's exactly what bitterness is. Bitterness grows out of holding on to things. And as difficult and as challenging as that can feel, like you don't want to have that conversation, okay, pray about it, work through it. Even if you're just sharing with the person like, oh, it's so hard, I'm so, I want to share this right with you. Forgive me if I come across mean-spirited or critical or just go into it with humility. Humility begets humility. Love begets love. But get matters resolved. We still have, this is always going to be a challenge for us in the church. Why? Because we live in a really messed up world yeah. that loves to hate. 
loves to judge, loves to be critical. The text here says, are we making every effort to live in peace and to be holy and to let no bitter root grow up in us? How do you know when you're a person of peace versus a person of bitterness? Well, I think God tells us through the psalmist in Psalm 19, verse 14, when it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And to God be the glory. Thank you. Amen.